Well, welcome to Opening the Box of Knowledge. Uh, really excited to have our guest with us today. She's a good friend and somebody I know pretty well, Michiana Elise. Michiana, uh, I got to know uh, a few, actually more than a few years ago now. Uh, she was one of our emerging leaders on our tribal council, uh, then went on to work for the tribe in our communications department. But as many of our just indigenous rock stars, she's out there doing some kick-ass things. And, uh, you know, we lost her because she's going off to be famous and, and do her work. Welcome, Ishiana. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. And it's good to see you guys. I miss home. So it's You're always nice to like connect with people back there and just check in. Yeah, no, it is great. Um, this podcast has been just a really great, fun labor of love. It's a project I've been excited about. We've been planning for a couple of years. In fact, uh, this really amazing, talented artist you might know, oh, it's you, did our <laughs> logo um, for opening the box of knowledge. And I think we have a beautiful logo. Everybody um, comments about it. So oh. you're an artist. You, you do uh, traditional art. You do contemporary art. Um, yeah, but, I'm kind of all over the place with my artwork. But, you know, I I was really excited to get the chance to do your podcast logo because when you first said, hey, I have this idea, I'm going to do a podcast, it was kind of like, what took you so long? Like, this is so <laughs> up your alley, you know? You talk to people all the time, so it's just a good way to share those conversations. Glad to be able yeah. to help. Uh, well, I think more than help, I think you really grabbed the flair of it. You know, it's opening the box of knowledge. We have a Bentwood box being opened and kind of all the, to me, all the ancestors coming out of it. Um, it's pretty beautiful thing. Um, Mish, I'm a huge fan of yours. Always have been just, um, you're so passionate like as a person about life about the world around us you know you're creative you wrote it you self-published a book a number of years ago you're doing your visual art can you tell me a little bit about where you're at right now you you had I, I know you were involved with Sundance and and them can you can you tell us about that what that is and where it's brought you yeah so oh Let's see, we got another person joining us. Hey, we got Hi. Kachung with us. How are you doing, brother? Good, good. Sorry, guys. I just got to our destination here in the Albion, Michigan. So just got in. That's, That's great. That's, uh, you know, so Michiana, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast, but sometimes our theme is where in the world is Kachung because he's <laughs> traveling and doing tours. <laughs> So, That's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> it's like where in the world is Carmen San Diego, but it's Inuit. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so well, it's good to see. I'm so glad I could come in. So here I am. 
We're just uh, getting started and asking Miss Yana to talk a little bit about where she's at with uh, Sundance and tell us about that relationship. Yeah, so Sundance, I I owe my entire filmmaking career to Sundance. And what's really cool about it is I really have a heart for Sundance as a whole and their their programs where they bring in filmmakers. But my journey started with the Indigenous Filmmakers Program and their fellowship. So that really just like, I, I will brag about them any chance I get. That program is amazing. They really foster Indigenous creativity and filmmaking, of course, and storytelling. But they really, when they take you in as a part of the Sundance family, they they are taking care of you as a whole person and they make sure that you stay involved and that you feel connected to their community within a community, which is just a really special thing to be a part of. And I, I got into Sundance Indigenous program with my first feature script. It was the first script I had ever written. I wrote it over a weekend. Uh, I was working in the communications department at Clinkett and Haida at the time. And I saw uh, across my Facebook feed, this, this application for the Sundance Indigenous program popped up and I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. I've always been a writer, but making films is something that always felt like a little out of reach. You know, growing up in Alaska, you don't feel like Hollywood is something that you could be a part of. So seeing that there was this indigenous program that was opening those doors, I was like, well, I have to at least try, right? So I spent all weekend, I think I slept a total of like an hour and a half putting together this feature script that centered around indigenous women and this family of matriarchs, which you guys know me, but for people listening, like it was basically a story about my family. And so I wrote that out, submitted it. About a month later, I got word back that I'd gotten accepted. And from there, it's just grown and grown. I was able to meet my co-writer for my second script, Fancy Dance, through the Indigenous program. We met at Sundance 2018, I think. And over the pandemic, she and I wrote this really amazing story called Fancy Dance. And it's about an aunt and her niece trying to keep their family together after her sister goes missing. And their, their adventures of dealing with Indian child welfare system and the issues of MMIW. And then just at the heart of it is really about the love between an aunt and her niece. And that's something that is really important to me because I'm not a mother, but I do have nieces and nephews. And that's something that I've never seen explored on screen before. So that's a relationship that she and I really wanted to express. And We were able to film it this summer. It's an actual movie now. And so that's moving forward. It's been so amazing to see how Sundance has been able to support us and they've provided funding. We were able to get other fellowships through our support with Sundance. So, I mean, this sounds like a commercial, but really, I highly recommend the Indigenous program at Sundance for anybody that is looking to become a screenwriter. It is place that you can call home 
that will really see you through. Now, is Bird running water? Is he still with the program there, or he stepped away from the program? I think it's going on two years ago now. But the cool thing about that, we were, of course, really sad to lose Bird as the leader of that program. He's been leading the Indigenous Sundance program for decades now. I mean, he's responsible for names like Taika Waititi, Sterling Harjo, all of these really major filmmakers and showrunners now. So he stepped away, but he stepped away to become a producer at Amazon Studios. So he is really like still leading the charge, still making sure that we all have our connections. And yeah, he's really leading the way. That's exciting to hear because one one of the thing I, I've seen with a lot of the um, indigenous creators right now, you know, you talk about Sterling and Taika, you talk about our own uh, Ver, um, I just Vera Starbird. Starbird. Yeah. Um, sorry, my my mind just blanked out. Uh, so many going through my mind. What I like is how they're kind of reaching back and lifting up other indigenous creators. So with him going to Amazon, we did an episode with Bobby Wilson, and I bet it's no small coincidence. He said he has a few projects going on at Amazon right now. So that's pretty incredible. There goes Chess Yuckish. Spread (laughs) rumors, speculating. Uh Uh-oh. That's the no, time. Heard it here first. A box of knowledge. <laughs> you don't know like what you can tell, what you can't tell. It's really hard to keep these secrets. But I will say that I I agree. Like it is it is major the way that this indigenous film community, I'll borrow the words of of our values, we really hold each other up. And my, for example, my writing partner, Erica, she's further along in her career than I am. She's been, she's had a short film that showed at Sundance called Little Chief. It's really amazing. If you get the chance to watch it, please do. Um, But she's, she's been in the game a little longer than me, but she reached out to me when the pandemic hit and she was like, I have this story I really want to tell, but I want your voice to be included in it. And then Sterling, he's he's been a mentor for both Erica and I, and he did the same thing when he was writing Reservation Dogs. He was like, Erica, I really want your voice in this room. So we really do. We those of us that are making inroads in this industry, we are also bringing our indigenous values with us. It's not just you know, look at me and the stories I can tell. It's okay, now we need to make room for our community and bring in other folks. And I know that Vera is doing that as well. And the folks at Molly of Denali, like we have all of these amazing things happening at once. And I think we're setting a really good example for the industry that it doesn't have to be this dog eat dog kind of thing. Like you can bring folks up with you and look at the amazing things we can create together. Yeah, you know, um, I'm really excited about some of that because like Vera um, has, she's very passionate about lifting others and pulling them into this space. I don't think you can ever recognize what those opportunities mean or Mm -hmm. the potential that they lead to because you look at Molly of Denali 
and some of our citizens, uh, tribal citizens, got pulled into writing on that. Now they're all up for an Emmy, right? Yeah. And Shout out to Freak. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm totally ecstatic for some of them, and it's such a small world. Is I think back a, a couple months ago, we're doing an episode and we're talking about Molly of Denali, and Kachung turns and goes, "Yeah, what do you think of that theme song?" I was like. It's really random. And then I was like, oh, did you did did you guys do that? He's like, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what do you think of the, what do you think of the theme song? He was like, yeah, I was wait a minute. Because <laughs> we all just do that. We all work together and cross lift each other up. And that's um, you know, I'm really appreciative about the fact that the the film industry has really taken a lead on that. That, you know, just working with others, not just even other filmmakers but even reaching out to to musicians like ourselves like with bum ui and and yatsin being on you know some of the new reservation dog stuff you know it's just like it's awesome to finally hearing some of our music on mainstream media it's it's pretty amazing yeah we're we're such creative people and we have all of these rich ways of sharing our self-expression that have just kind of flown under the radar for so many years. So now to see it being shared with everybody else and the response to it, the response to the music, the response to the TV shows, it's like, you know, you kind of lived under this impression of, our stories won't translate to mainstream. Our music won't translate to mainstream because it's such a specific point of view, but it's like, no, it, uh, there's a human heart at the center of everything we do. And that is the most easily translatable thing on the planet. People are really getting into mm. everything we have to share. And it, it's been awesome to witness and feel super humbling to be a small part of it. Like it, it blows my mind every day. Well, that's so beautiful. He said, you know, one of the things um, that really occurred to me when you first started talking was about, you know, coming from a matriarchal family. Like I know you, I know your mom, I know your grandma, all powerhouses in their own right. Um, and while that may be a very native point of view, it's it's really not. It's a human point of view. And and mm. I think our stories do translate. We just don't see we haven't grown up seeing ourselves um represented or portrayed in those mediums. So I'm really excited. And you know, you can tell these human stories. I always think of um smoke signals you know, mm. which was so native, but it was really just a, a buddy story, right? About these guys taking this journey together and who hasn't done that? You know, you don't have to be indigenous. It was just through an indigenous lens. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a tribal leader. So I'm always thinking of things like ICWA, Indian Child Welfare Act, VAWA, Violence Against Women, um, which your mom is a, a real champion on, you know, testifying at a national level, you know, just always being at the forefront there. But those what's exciting to me is our kind of Native American, Alaska Native worldview is ours, but we barely make the radar for 
everybody else. And now through through you all telling your stories and putting it out there, I think we're going to bring some real attention to some of these issues. I know like Vera has been very intentful with Alaskan Daily, the TV show on ABC that she's a writer on, you know, um, can you can you talk a little bit about what your intent there is to tell those human stories with that lens? Yeah, so this is something that my my filmmaker friends and I talk about a lot is um, representation and our responsibility as indigenous storytellers to also bring awareness to real issues that are affecting our communities. And sometimes I have to admit, it feels a little bit like an unfair burden because first of all, these issues are so complex. How do you possibly share everything you need to share about it in like a half an hour episode of TV, right? Like that's super hard to do. But also it feels really amazing to have these platforms to be able to speak about them, especially in the midst of the political climate we're in, where people are trying to shut down every opportunity to talk about serious issues, right? And dividing people at every turn. It's like television and film are some of the last free spaces where you can share information. And so to tell stories about indigenous people going through Indian child welfare systems and dealing with social workers on a daily basis or trying to get the word out about our missing and murdered indigenous relatives. It's, it's something that we handle with care and something that we take seriously. And I don't know. I, I like to think about it as When I was going through school, if they had taught issues in an entertaining way, I would have paid attention a lot more. So to be able to paint these issues with an artistic brush is something that I hope doesn't cheapen any of these issues, but makes it sear into people's memories a lot more and relates the issues on a personal level so they can go, oh, I'm not indigenous, but here's why I should care about this issue. Because the way, I mean, let's take the Supreme Court case that's going on right now with ICWA. You know, if you're outside of that community, you could kind of just brush it aside and be like, I don't care about Indian child welfare. But if you watch a show and your heartstrings are pulled by a character who's going through those very things, you're going to be a lot more inclined when you see it on the news to be like, oh my gosh, like this isn't right. Let me lend my voice to this. Or I have this resource. Let me throw this resource at this issue because, you know, person to person, this isn't right. And I have the power to do something about it. And the more people we can bring in, the better, right? So I feel incredibly privileged to to have the space to tell these stories. And I'm going to keep telling them until I have no reason to keep telling them. I hope there comes a day where I don't have to write stories about missing and murdered Indigenous people. But that day is not today, sadly. So, Yeah, I, I think... Oh, go ahead, Steve. 
Well, I, I was just thinking, you know, you said, I hope not to cheapen these. And well, one, I know you, so I know you, that you won't. But, you know, right now, I think if you lined up 100 people outside of our community, outside of the Native community, 99 of them would not know what ICWA was. You mm-hmm. might find the one who does. Um, same for um, murdered and missing Indigenous people. The same about VAWA. You know, so anytime you can tell an entertaining story that somebody could connect to and connect to those issues in that, you know, I think you're educating and bringing opportunity to for us to educate. You know, sometimes, it, and I heard you say this, and it really resonated with me, sometimes I feel like it's a real burden that somehow it's my job to educate people who don't know about our mm-hmm. issues, right? But I also have kind of built my uh, resolve on that around the fact that if I'm not willing to educate, nobody might not learn, right? Mm -hmm. Whether I'm in the the Alaska Capitol talking about um, tribal recognition or public safety or education, I have to, um, you know, kind of paint that picture for them. And... It's why representation matters, not just looking across and seeing myself, but knowing that non-Indigenous people are going to see these and hear these stories and be hopefully compelled. You know, Kachung's band Bumyo is, you know, crossing across America right now, and they're performing and doing concerts, but they're meeting with school kids you know, all these opportunities to just introduce who who he is and who we as Alaska Natives are. And I hope it opens up some eyes and hopefully people come with open minds and open hearts to to understanding. Mm-hmm. So, K- Kachang, yeah, you're, you, you know, you get yeah, to no, that. What do I, you- I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you on on all of that, and you know, it's I, I really appreciate you guys know each other, and then you and I have had the chance of meeting once before. I think it was in Seattle, uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago, um, and and just hearing your story, like getting into the business of of filmmaking, and and storytelling. I mean, I'm really appreciative of that because, you know, you know, being a part, being a performing artist and just being a part of an industry, um, you know, in itself is, is, it's, it's, it's a handful of work. It's a lot of work. And I really appreciate the hard work that you do and, 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 and the work that you're doing in this storytelling. I'm, I'm wondering, um, uh, my question, like you started with your writing, um, you know, working with that. Do you have also aspirations of like in front of the camera work? You know, what was that kind of that, that emphasis that got you into the filmmaking? I mean, that's, I have mine with, you know, with music and all of that, just, uh, but cause you can go in so many directions. Yeah. What are those directions that you want to do in a film? Yeah. So we talked about like, I, I created this logo for you guys and like, honestly, anything creative I can get my hands on that has been what calls to me from the time that I arrived on this earth. I just love creating and sharing beautiful things. And it's funny you should mention being in front of the camera because I actually (laughs) managed to land myself a role in, in my own movie. Um, 
that was not through my doing for the record. That was uh, <laughs> my, my co-writer. She is the director of the film and she asked me to play this really small role, but I was really appreciative of that because I have been acting since I was like, I want to say six years old. I was in uh, Janice Holst Dancers in Juneau. And I grew up in that program and we put on plays every winter. I was in the high school plays. Um, I shouted out Frank Katas earlier. We have a joke. He and I, I call him my fairy godmother because he introduced me to Perseverance Theater and got me some roles there that really nurtured that creative spirit. And you know, that really led me on my way through acting. Acting is something that I, I, I battle back and forth between what I love more writing or acting, because what draws me to both of those is the empathy involved and being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see through their eyes, how they relate to the world and where they're, stories of self come from and how do people get to be who they are just fascinates me endlessly so yeah I do have aspirations to be in front of the camera um it's a little bit intimidating it's different than theater what I'm really used to but I definitely see myself doing more acting roles in the future and you know any chance I get to express that part of myself I'll I'll jump at it whether it scares me to death or not (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thank you for that beautiful i i have an interesting question so you you know there's so many opportunities now for um indigenous creators um and i think you know we talked about with bobby wilson when we had him on the show about having like a indigenous network but he was kind of like ah i i just to want to be out there on whatever, you know, I don't think we want to pigeonhole ourselves. Do you have aspirations to be in indigenous uh, created things or just anything, you know, out in all the um, movies? And t- that is a complicated question for me. Um, I actually lived in LA for a while and I auditioned for all different kinds of roles. Um, I've always wanted to be a part of indigenous created films and television shows. The The thing that I run into is I'm also African-American and my skin color, my features present as more African-American than indigenous And so because I don't fit somebody's visual idea of what a Native person is, I'm often left out of those projects and not even considered. And that's honestly part of what fuels me to write. And that's why I was so honored that Erica gave me the opportunity to actually be in our film. And we we made a point in our casting, we put out a call to Afro-Indigenous actors because there aren't those opportunities for us because on the one hand, I don't look indigenous, but you can tell I'm not just black. So I also don't get the opportunities for the black roles. So I'm kind of in this weird in-between space and speaking with people like, I know that you and I, that's something we talked about before where it's like, there aren't a lot of opportunities for Afro indigenous people in these stories because you don't look like, 
fill in the blank, right? But yeah, yes, the, the stereotypical. Yeah. yeah, we don't fit anybody's yeah. stereotype, which is our superpower <laughs> and the thing that holds us back, right? So it's kind of <laughs> writing is absolutely. My it's my little secret mission to write all of these roles for Afro-Indigenous people so that we can start chipping away yeah. at stereotypes and kind of, you know, secret agent our way into these things. No, it, it, but it, it is happening a little bit. You know, I mean, I got to say that I was, you know, I got a chance to be on, on Rutherford Falls uh, season two, which was a part written specifically for Afro-Indigenous male. Right. And, and so that was like, I was like, you know, they reached out and were like, would you consider, uh, you know, um, auditioning for this? And I was like, well, why the hell not? Yeah. So I did and, and got that part. But, but it was like the first time I had someone reach out ever, ever. Mm -hmm. And, and, and with a, with a part that was specifically written for an Afro indigenous man. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think I've seen maybe two or three casting calls that said the words Afro-Indigenous in them. Like, it's insane. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but every Indigenous gathering I go to, there's plenty of Afro-Indigenous people walking around. So, oh, yeah. like, <laughs> we this. we're not unicorns. Like, we need to start no. things. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm on absolutely. the opposite spectrum because I, I uh, look non-native, I guess. But it's funny because, you know, people I, I love that you said it's my superpower and, and the other because that's how I always felt, too, is sometimes mm -hmm. it's my superpower. Sometimes it's my kryptonite. Um, yeah. I always feel, you know, I, I grew up in a village. I feel very um connected and strong in my indigenous identity. So I don't worry about what other people think, but I don't mm -hmm. live in a world where I'm trying to, um, you know, audition or, or be picked up and judged by appearance and this and that, you know, so I, I don't know what that would be like. I don't think I would do very well with it because um, it's like when I've had people walk up to me and like, wait, you're a tribal leader? You look white. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. And, and then a lot of people are like, oh, you have very native features. And I'm always like, well, what does that mean? You know, um, I, I never feel like it's a compliment in any way it's given. And I, I'm always unsure of that. But, you know, that that's yeah. the paradox that indigenous people live in in this melting pot of a country, right, where – we kind of are indigenous and this, indigenous and that. Well, I've always just said, no, I'm indigenous. To the point, even with like my avatars on um, social media, I give just a little darker pigment just so people <laughs> understand I'm indigenous. And I, I, I like I don't go dark, yeah, but I don't no, that's go. Awesome. I don't go <laughs> like. <laughs> it messes with that, your head a little awesome. bit to be judged by these superficial things. You're like, wait a minute, I know who I am. I know where I grew up. I know mm -hmm. what I participated in, who my ancestors are. I know all these things. And then to step out of your own front door and have everybody go, well, are you really? Or you don't look like my idea of what this should be. It, it kind of starts to mess with you a little bit. I've been on a major <laughs> identity journey since since the George Floyd 
uh, stuff happened, all those protests, it, it sent me into a bit of a tailspin trying to like pig down my rights to certain identities. And it's, mm. it's, I don't know. It's uncovered a lot of things for me that I'm, I'm glad I'm discovering and it's connected me deeper with some of my histories and being able to find out where my African roots come from and all of these things. But it is, it is hurtful to have others like judge you based on that. I have a question as, as an artist who's, you know, Afro-Indigenous, does, does your culture, does your background um, and both sides of them, uh, like kind of inform your artwork because I mean it very much informs Bumio and music. It's like the mm-hmm. the driver of even why we did what we did was to really uplift both our heritages. Yeah, does that come through with your with your practice? It absolutely does. Um, it it's something that I always keep in back of mind. Is like okay, I I am representing all of who I am and. I kind of have this little ritual whenever I'm about to create a piece of art or I'm about to sit down to write. I always say to myself, like, it's okay here in this place with this piece of work. Nobody else's opinion matters. It's okay to express every part of your heritage on this page. And so saying that to myself is kind of like a friendly reminder and this freeing thing to like, don't don't let outside judgments come in your sacred place, right? Like this is your, your point of view as an Afro indigenous person is so unique and is so needed. Everybody's opinion is needed, but it's something that like we were talking about earlier, there hasn't been traditionally that space for indigenous storytellers. Now there's reservation dogs and Rutherford Falls and Alaska Daily and all these things coming out of it. So now I feel like on the back of that wave, here comes this other wave that Afro indigenous people are going to be included in. And, you know, we're going to make our own space because I, I, I enjoy so much the cross sections of my African American heritage and my indigenous American heritage. I mean, so much of it is interwoven and that is just a gold mine that people are missing out on. I'm like, come on. You want to talk about the AIM movement? It goes hand in hand with Black Panthers. I mean, we can go on and on about all of these intersections. And I'm like, all right, if y'all want to leave these stories on the table, I'll pick them up and run with them. (laughs) I'll take them. (laughs) Yeah, so I I absolutely, I absolutely try to bring all of my identity into everything I do. You know, Anna, one, I'm so incredibly proud of you. I've always kind of considered you in that little sister mode, you know, and so I'm just always cheering you on. But it's great to see you do all the um, creative expression and go down this road. You, you've also really grown up very much involved with the culture as part of being a, a part of dance groups. You, you still are maintain a connection to the uh, dance group here in Juneau. You've been involved with things like elders and youth to the point where I'm going to go personal and, and off off of you for a second, but how proud of you were you this year to see when we talk about inclusion, 
your your baby sister was the keynote for First Alaskans Elders and Youth. And, you know, Christiana is uh, hearing impaired, right? And that was a part of it. And she brought, uh, you know, an interpreter to the to the um, program. And she did that for our youth as well when with her involvement there. So how's Big Sister feeling right now? She makes me so proud. And she is like my number one cheerleader. So when she gets the chance and... To see people like you and Liz Medicine Crow really like give her these awesome opportunities. I mean, I it it's one thing to be like, oh, okay, you know, I worked on this and I feel proud of myself. When my little sister steps out and like she does her thing and brings awareness to the hearing impaired community. I just, I don't cry often or easy. I was blubbering like a baby when I was watching her give her speech. <laughs> I mean, she is amazing. And to know all the things that she goes up against in her daily life, I mean, it, it, it's a community that I wish the world would give more space to and include more because, again, it's an untapped resource all these communities that are not being brought into spotlights are untapped resources and we make each other better and having a a sign language interpreter at our events it it changed the tone of the entire conference it it's that reminder of we're not all the same and that is what's amazing about us. That's what we need more of. So I was so proud of her. I'm so proud sounds, of her. It, it, sound, it sounds like a good movie, Big Sister. Right? It does. I got to get working on that. Oh, it's chilling. It's chilling right there. Yeah. <laughs> record, one, one. You got to do it. The challenge is out there and, and, uh, you, you know, firsthand, you know, and you're sitting there with your beautiful sister. Um, I'm so proud of her. I I have to say, I sat there, um, you know, front row watching her and I, I I felt her nerves and how nervous she was. And, Mm -hmm. and for a minute I was like, Oh no, this, this is going to crush her. No, man. She pushed through and persevered. And got, you know, through her nerves and everything, it was so powerful. And I sat there, I I had tears, no lie, and I had goosebumps and just so proud of her because, you know, she faces challenges every day we we just don't even think about because we don't know them, we don't experience that. And, uh, no, it was beautiful. I was really uh, just proud, you know, um just to see her do that. And one of the things I love about First Alaskans is, you know, obviously First Alaskans is about the the indigenous people of Alaska, but they, I think they promote that our biggest strength is our diversity. Mm -hmm. That's my takeaway all the time. And so it was pretty profound to me. And I don't know if it was just after a long uh, time away because of the pandemic, but having Christiana be the keynote speaker, having folks like um, 
Quanta Chasing Horse Potts and Martin Sensmeyer and DeFaro, you know, it was seen again celebrating that um, our people are taking up spaces that, you know, traditionally we've been left out of. And it's like when I speak to our youth and, and we talk about um, making space for them, I, I kind of call bullshit on that. I'm like, mm-hmm. don't wait for us to make space take that space right and that's what i think of you and all these folks who you know kachung he isn't sitting waiting for somebody to um sing his songs or or represent him he's doing it you know you're doing it Uh, it's opening the box of knowledge for me is really about promoting cool people doing cool things and it's not not all in the entertainment world you know, but it seems like there's been a real theme through our podcast is holding up a lot of this um, indigenous creators right now. But I think the reason why is because they're breaking through at a level we've never seen before. Yeah, and yeah it's happening in a whole different light, a whole different way. We've not, it's just unprecedented. Yep. Yeah. The, the beautiful thing about it, too, is, you know, everybody that's doing it, they're so talented in so many ways, you know, Michiana, you're not just a writer or an actress, you're, you're, uh, um, artist, you, uh, have your own earrings, you do your own things there. Tell me a little bit about that. And, you know, I know, uh, you've been pretty busy on social media with some of your products lately. I am. I'm trying to keep up with everybody else. I see all these amazing earrings walking around. I'm like, oh man, I want to make something cool like that. So I I was really glad. I think it's going on like two years now. I've been making earrings and it's really been like, I don't know. I'm in love with it. Like I'm able to sit down and create this art that dates back thousands of years. Right. And like honor the the teachers that shared that with me and being able to, to give that to somebody as a gift and have them wear it in their daily lives. I don't know. Like I get really deep with a lot of stuff, which is why I'm a writer, right? Like I get mushy, but it's like, it really is an honor to be able to create this this artwork and to see people live their lives in it and see the smiles that it brings to their faces. And I, I recently put <laughs> copper into my work and it's like knowing what copper means to us and having women be able, women and men, um, be able to wear that strength every day and knowing that that might be something that gets somebody through a really hard day, like just having that strength, you know, with them, it, I, I take it seriously and I try to put that into my designs. And my grandmother is the first person that introduced me to form line design. And of course she makes gorgeous regalia, button robes, vests that even the executive council wears to this day. And it's like, it's a little intimidating to have Alberta Aspen, that name hanging over you. And then my other teacher is David Boxley. So it's like he told me, whenever you're drawing out your form, think of me sitting on your shoulder and, you know, kind of critiquing you in like the most loving way. But it's like, you know, that, hey, no that, pressure. That's, that's, oh, I, know. I was like, hey, lie. <laughs> 
So sometimes it's a little intimidating, but going back to something you said earlier about Christiana and how she was nervous up there, that's something that she and I talked about ahead of time. It's like almost everything I do, I am nervous about. Like I, when I was emerging leader and I had to give those speeches, I could barely stand up there. Like I was shaking. My voice was shaking. I was squeaking all over the place. Just, I was running out of breath. Like it, these things, they, they make you nervous. You can be intimidated by it. But my message to young people that I come in contact with, my message to anybody really who has to face these things is like, feel the fear and do it anyways. Right. Because my form line oh, might not perfect. My form line is never going to be David Boxley, right? My button robes are never going to be like Alberta Aspens, but they are going to mean something and they're going to show the journey of my progress. So the point isn't to be perfect. It's to keep doing it and to show others that it's okay to not be perfect. And so that's what I that's what I tell myself to be, to be a little more calm when I'm doing these things. And that's what I always try to share with others is like, you know, I'm nervous every day of my life. You still got to get out there and do what you were put here to do. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, if you're not nervous, you ain't human. It's just, yeah. you just get a little better at masking it. You just, when you're doing this for a long time, it's like, cause every single time I'm going on stage, I get nervous. I just, I just have gotten a lot better at hiding that nervousness. It's mm-hmm. kind of masking it and you, but, but utilizing that to when you, when you get out on the stage. Exactly. You know? yeah. Kiddo, if I didn't love you already, if I wasn't already proud of you, I am tremendously. Um, because I've seen you progress, um, and it's inspiring. One, one of the best things that I get in my life is, you know, I, I, my day job, I'm president of Clinkett and Haida. Um, I've always believed in our youth, in our youth leadership, and we've seen that progression. Man, our emerging leaders have just always been so stellar. You were one of those ones who I thought were, kind of flipped a switch on me a little bit where you guys, you really just, there was some groundbreaking uh, mindset happening there. You were so prophetic in your speeches. Um, You said, feel the fear and do it anyways. That was the motto. I went to boarding school at Edgecombe, Mount Edgecombe High School in Sitka, and that was our motto. So you Mm. really got me there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I, I, but I, I know all about that. You know, I was the 19 year old mayor um, mm. when I, I really shouldn't have been mayor. I'll be honest, but um, <laughs> I, I grew into it and I learned it. And you know, I, I that's why I'm so much a believer now. Like for our youth, don't don't wait for somebody to hand you something. This mm. is yours. Go take it. Yeah, you, you yep. know. Um, and, and I got to remind myself to walk the talk sometimes because now I'm a little bit older, a lot grayer. But our, our youth, this you know, we're just borrowing time and space from them, and, oh, and yeah. this is theirs. They you know? they are so, this next generation is like 
intimidatingly awesome. Like I sit back and I, I've said to a few people, I'm like, I'm glad I ran for emerging leader when I did. Cause I don't know that I can get it now. Like these, <laughs> these youth well, are yeah. all, I, paying attention and they're coming for their spots. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll they, I'm, I'm proud of this younger generation now. The things that they're doing, the, I mean, the pride that's being worn, not only on clothing, but on the skin. I mean, everything. I, I love it. But yeah. I think that's because of all the representation they're seeing. You know, every time somebody breaks that glass ceiling, so many more of our people aren't left behind anymore. Just knocking them over. Yeah, and and I think it's important to see ourselves. You know, I don't hold celebrity as as some mythical thing by any means, but I think it's important because it's what grabs people's attention. Our youth pay attention to, you know, all these different mediums, and so. When they see that, they think they can do it. You know, I, I go mm-hmm. back to um, when I seen Katanji um, get, I got to go to the White House and see her get confirmed for the um, Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. I watched her daughters walk out and, and I was moved to tears because I looked at these two beautiful young girls who right now they think they can be anything they want to be in this world because they saw their mother become what she, you know, what would unattainable before. And so now hopefully millions of uh, minority girls say, I'm going to be on the Supreme court someday, you know, and that's, that's a powerful thing, man. And, we we need more representation so that our youth see it and take it, do more. I, I listened to uh, Kachung's kids. They're part of Hayu Katungi Kuti, which is our Clinket Immersion School. And we didn't have that when we were kids. These, mm-hmm. these kids are going to grow up to be adults that are speaking the language. Like, that's not a small thing. That's That's huge. That's profound. Yeah. Um, that makes me think of, uh, I, I hope I get this right. I think it was David Katzik that used to say something like, when you know who you are, you're something to the effect of like, you're, you're stronger. Right. So to see all of these, these kids from babies up through high school and beyond, like, to grow up with these opportunities to know their language, to sing their songs and do their dances, to have the rights to go out on the land and do our traditional harvesting practices, to have all these access to things that I never had access to, to have the opportunities to do things like be emerging leader or be on the youth council. It's, it's just, it's unprecedented. And to think about, if they're this strong now <laughs> to see these children grow up into adults and what will they do with this knowledge that they've amassed over their lifetimes, it, it gives me chills. Like we're going to be so rooted and, you know, be able to call back some of those things we lost through termination and all of those things. It's going to be it, our future is in good hands. 
and I'm glad I get to be around to to watch it progress. Yeah, I'm a little jealous that all these little kids know clink it, and I don't. I'm gonna be honest, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrestle with that too. But, you know, we're still language warriors because we push and fight for it. They're taking it and they're getting it. Um, you know, I, I've been a elected leader for 27 years now, more than half of my life. And there was a point where there was like just me and like two or three other people, even in my age group, that were in leadership roles for so long that I started to feel despair. Like I was like, where's the next generation? They're not interested in, in this. They're not in. And then out of nowhere, there was like this explosion. And mm -hmm. now we're seeing so many step up and it's incredible because I think now like you're, what you're saying, they're, they're going to be so much better than we were. Um, because of the opportunities they had, because of the ceilings that were broke, because of the trails that us and our and those before us kind of built, right? I, mm -hmm. you know, we have more indigenous lawyers, doctors, advocates, activists at every level. Like you don't need a degree to mm -hmm. to be a, a leader or a warrior. I love, you know, like I, I always think like words matter, I, ideas and ideals matter. First Alaskans <laughs> Institute, you know, every time they have a convening, they go over their covenants. And, and one of those mm -hmm. is in every seat sits a leader. Mm. And that's something that I um, hope to model in my leadership is like, look, I'm not trying to be the, the big top dog leader. I want us all to be leaders. Like right. I want to put the spotlight on other people and, and let them shine. And <clears throat> I think the greater you, Michiana, shine, you, Kachung, shine, the brighter I shine and the rest of our folks, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's something that I also try to bring into my filmmaking. And um, Erica and I were conscious of that when building our team for for Fancy Dance is we we wanted to kind of topple this hierarchical structure that sits behind filmmaking where it's like the director's at the top of the pyramid and then everybody else trickles down from there, right? It's like, no, everybody has a voice. Everybody's voice is important. We all have something to add. And when we all throw that together in a pot, I mean, America likes to say there's this idea of the melting pot, but I don't feel like we really live up to it because if it, when we truly get down to it and we all throw our ideas in the pot and we all value what's been put in there, that's when we're at our best. It's not just the adding of it. It's the acknowledgement of what we all bring together. And like you said, in every seat, there's a leader everybody has something to add. And so I, I, I really hope to see more of that. And I think that we are in store for more of that because it, if today is any sign of what's to come, it, we, we can't even imagine the things these kids are going to do. No, it's pretty awesome. You know, you talk about the melting pot. I actually probably see it a little bit different. I, I don't like the idea of the melting pot so much. You know, I'm not into segregation either, so don't don't get it twisted. <laughs> but I, I think our diversities are our strength, right? 
Like if yeah. that's the melting pot, I think it's the, kind of the rainbow, you know, of who we all are. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think everybody should have the right to shine, but you know, I don't want to lose our indigenous culture. I don't, you know, I honor other people's culture. I I love our differences, you know, yeah. and I think they use that term melting pot is really one, it's false because there's our country still so segregated, but, yeah. you know, I think they, when they say melting pot, they just want us to be homogenized and to really yeah. cook out all of our, our differences and our cultures and that, which gives us the strength to be who we are. <laughs> Do you have pizza come again? No, I don't know what's going on there. I guess my mom ordered some. That was the last time the bell rung. It was the pizza guy. <laughs> the the last time, no. The last time it was the neighbor to tell us your car was rolling down oh, the road. Oh, that was right. My car was rolling down the road. Oh my gosh! We were. Oh my God. That's right. We were recording an episode, and I look out the window, and I was like, "Why did Steve park so far away?" And then. <laughs> Like a minute later, a neighbor comes. The car wasn't there earlier. No, I was like, well, that's weird. Here is his car was rolling out of my driveway and down the road. Yeah. 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 This is the beauty of podcasting is we get to have these live moments. Kachung's (laughs) kids have been a part of the shows. Our uh, neighbors, it's a lot of fun. Miss Yana's dogs were barking earlier. They silenced down, though. You must have chased them away. Yeah, well, John, yeah, John Gurley, we had to have his dogs, uh, he had to get his dog out as well, too. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, we were recording. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was fun. Yeah. Yeah. This is incredible. Um, Again, this is what I love is just having these conversations with really incredible people. Um, Gosh, Michiana, you're so multi-talented and doing so many things. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, I've known Michiana for a long time. I serve with her mom. I I know her grandma. Uh, I don't know how you could be anything but a really strong uh, indig- Afro-Indigenous woman because that was uh, the example, as you saw, was strong matriarchy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and before we uh, head out here, I, I do have to give a shout-out. I, I kind of called out all of my mentors along the way, but I also want to give a really big shout-out to, to you, President Peterson, and to the rest of the executive council and Clinton and Haida as a whole for really, I mean, I I was raised in the building at Clinton and Haida and I would not be doing all these things without the support from Clinton and Haida, from the delegates, from the executive council, from the other youth leaders. Like I, I truly, I bring you guys with mm-hmm. me and I can't say enough, like from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Uh-huh. Gonna quiche. How up to you? Uh, no, it inspires me. Um, seeing your success, um, I certainly can take no credit for it, but I do feel just immense pride in you. Um, seeing you, knowing that uh, from such a 
early start for you, but man, you are uh, a rising star. I always told you you were going to be because uh, <laughs> you really are. You, know, you don't give yourself that credit, but you know, it, it's awesome to see. And I have no doubt because I know the woman you are that you're going to pull up so many more with you. And, and that's what really excites me, you know, when we can just lift each other up, you know, it's yeah. one of the reasons I, I admire mm-hmm. Kajung so much. He's mm-hmm. such an advocate for our young artists and young people, both in his mm-hmm. profession, you know, his uh, music profession, but also his day job profession. He's, he's about lifting our young people up into these roles and so uh just such an admiration of society here right now for you two um and if i can be a small part of holding people up man it thrills me to no end well thank you for those kind words yeah i thank you for today this was this was awesome you know we're we're just and get we're just getting to know each other but to see your work and what you've been doing, what you've been accomplishing. I mean, I just cannot wait to see where you're going. I mean, it's amazing. And keep keep it up. Keep storytelling. Keep representing uh, our people, both our people. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, yeah, yeah. And, and so, Thank so you. lastly, though, Michiana, we talked about Fancy Dance. When do we get to see Fancy Dance? I can't say anything right now. All I can say is very soon, in the next couple of months, you will be able to see Fancy Dances. So stay tuned. You heard it first. I I absolutely can't wait. And we'll have to come back and have you uh, join us for a conversation once it's out there talk about that we want to promote the heck out of it because we're yeah. just so dang proud of you and can't wait yeah i can't wait either i want to have a screening in juno if i get the chance to do that so we gotta work something Dude, out let's do it let's oh, do it oh yes i i have to know the communications it. department would be thrilled to yeah. be yeah, yeah. Um, putting something together <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us for uh, this episode of Opening the Box of Knowledge. I I feel like uh, we really lived up to that with this episode. And again, thank you for the beautiful design for Opening the Box of Knowledge. So hopefully we'll have some uh, swag out soon. And uh, Sam, Sam was asking if you got your letter. I don't know what that meant. Oh, I sent you some stickers. I don't think so. I need to check. I haven't checked the mail in a while. <laughs> I've been yeah, busy running all over the place. Mail, <laughs> mail. I know. Even slower. Oh, all right, yeah. you guys be well. Oh. Congratulations, Sam. Saw your oh, big news you on so Facebook. Much. Yeah. That looked like an oh, amazing Oh, my God. I don't think. I don't think we've recorded a podcast since the news. I don't so so uh, there's this beautiful gal out there, Sabrina, who's going to make an honest man out of Sam finally. <laughs> so yeah. congratulations to Sam and Sabrina. 
Thank you. Yay! This guy went all the way to Morocco to propose. That that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you, know, you could be in the rainforest. Yeah, he went from the rainforest to the desert to to, to propose. That's love right there. <laughs> I like. That. All right, all would be well. Bye. Thank you. Bye. See you guys.